la la. Hello all. Welcome. It is Monday night, generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter, and we are living in the twilight zone, aren't we? Did you, you hear sent me a text? Did you just send me a text? I did. I did. I did. <laughs> it's important information. You don't have to discuss it now, but okay. I found it to be very relevant uh, about future uh, plans and whatnot. So um, I have I have an announcement. Oh, you have an announcement? I have an announcement. So this is, yeah, this is regarding the presidential race that we're dealing with. I have a new theory. I have a new plan. Okay. Work with me on this. I'm listening. Oh, do oh, Dolly. Yeah, that's a, well, I mean, if you're trying to coax her into running, I, I guess that's one way of trying to get her attention. Um, uh, did you go to Dolly World or something? No, I didn't go to Dolly World. Actually, I just, I was in this little boutique in Asheville and they were just these cute thing. And I can't resist a Dolly thing, you know? So I just thought that was so cute. And honestly, I would like Dolly for president, man. Totally. Well, we are not going to keep our guest waiting because we have a lot to talk about this evening and it's going to be fun as it always is, because it is Florida, and we are just simply the butt end of every joke under the sun. And the jokes just keep on coming, because uh, what I would surmise is probably the most corrupt mayor in the United States is now running for president. And of course, they had to be in Florida, so what else is new? You know him as a wonderful independent filmmaker, most notable for Cocaine Cowboys and a lot of other great stuff. He has been a guest before. He's a guest now, and it certainly won't be the last time he's a guest here. Billy Corbin, welcome back to Generational Change. Thanks, Peter. I'm 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 all on board. Dolly for president. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. she could run the she could run the country. At least well, not okay, so guys can. Billy, just a heads up, I'm in the mountains, so I'm I'm on a like this strange delay. But okay. I hear everything and I know that you guys can hear me. It's just a little bit delayed. Well, you know what? We're, we're going to have a lot of uh, sad shit to talk about tonight. So let's start with something positive, because if there's anything that we like, it's something that honestly sees the Supreme Court doing something in a positive light. And in this case, it turns out that even some cases are going to be met with an honest. Uh, what, how, how would you describe it, Jen? Uh, is jurisprudence the right thing to say? Uh, I, I would I would describe it that uh, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Yes, I, I would agree. And in this case, the U.S. Supreme Court has decided that their attempt, uh, the Louisiana legislature, as many of you know, is uh, fully red. And they were attempting to basically carve one huge district that I believe was going to cover both New Orleans and Baton Rouge and basically put it as one. And hereby fully gerrymandering what should be two districts that are majority black population and henceforth would be two blue congressional districts. So the Supreme Court decided that, no, this doesn't work. Um, but the one thing I can say that we have seen from this Supreme Court, the Heritage Foundation Supreme Court, as I like to call it, uh, they have been pushing back against the absolutely asinine levels of gerrymandering. They didn't do it here in Florida, but they've been doing it in other states. And Louisiana is certainly no exception. And this obviously was a good bit of news. Uh, just end gerrymandering. I don't care who the hell's doing it. Let people vote. 
I, I should probably add that uh, the city of Miami last year passed a redistricting map uh, because we have there's one district out of five. City of Miami has, I believe, in the country, the the smallest amount of representation, the fewest commissioners for a city of this size, which is now over about four hundred and fifty thousand people. There's only five district commissioners uh, and only one of those districts, District 2, which makes up mostly the coast, uh, Coconut Grove, downtown Miami, Brickell, Edgewater, um, a lot of the places you hear about nationally, um, all along the coast, some of the most valuable real estate, I'm sorry, the most valuable real estate in the city of Miami, some of the most valuable in the state of Florida. Um, that is the sole donor district in the entire city. So basically, over 70% of the revenue comes from this one district too. And then it gets spread around. It's almost like socialism to these other <laughs> Republican welfare queens who are the dist you know, like Joe Carroyo and Alex Diaz Laportia and Manolo Reyes. Um, and what happened here is that because that district is also the fastest growing, they need to uh, gerrymander. They need to redistrict to, in order to try to get equal amounts of you know population into each of the five districts by really digging into that district too. So long story even longer. Last year, they had this very open series of conversations at public meetings where they talked about how they were deliberately racial gerrymandering. They didn't use the term racial. They didn't use the term gerrymandering. But I swear to you, they said, what we need is we need a black seat. We need an Anglo seat and we need three Cuban seats. That's the way it should be. They And they said it exactly like that. Uh, and so that's racial gerrymandering. And uh, so the ACLU, thankfully, came into town. Um, and just got a federal judge to overturn the redistricting maps uh, because one of the things they did was they divided up the West Grove, which is Miami's oldest neighborhood. It actually predates the incorporation of the city. It was it's called Little Bahamas. It was made up. It's made up of mostly uh, Bahamian uh, and, and blacks, uh, African-Americans who built literally built the city of Miami. And Francis Suarez, Mayor Ponzi Postalita, as we call him. Uh, he one of the few powers that he has by charter because he's mostly a ceremonial mayor. He spends 75, 80 percent of his time as mayor handing out you know, uh, keys to the city and proclamations to TikTok uh, influencers. But one of his few powers or two powers, I should say, is to is he has the power of the veto, which he rarely exercises. And he's an attorney. So he knew an unconstitutional, I assume, as an attorney. I mean, every every uh, every uh, class has a bottom, you know, has someone who who graduates with C's and D's, I presume. But I, I would hope that he would know that this was unconstitutional. He did not, uh, he did not veto it. He, and, and despite the fact that he was begged by the vast majority of his constituents to, 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 to do it. And that the reason is, is that because the city of Miami, um, is not a local government. It is a racketeering enterprise that is masquerading, uh, as a municipality. Uh, and, and he is one of, he is not an enabler. He is a complicit uh, figure who profits from, and, and I agree with Peter, uh, uh, that Francis Suarez, dollar for dollar, is the most corrupt mayor in the history of Miami, which I grant is quite an achievement. Jen, get in there. Uh, well, you know, well, the truth is, is that I have not been a 305 person in forever, but 
You know, I always grew up feeling like everything down there was pretty filthy and corrupt. And it was very much like when I was growing up, it felt like it was Banana Republic down there. And the only difference is now there's just so much more money and wealth that's come in. But at the end of the day, it's still the same. So it's just, it's not, nothing has changed. Like, I feel like nothing has changed. Which is bigger. It's just bigger. You're you're, you're not wrong about that because remember, Francis Suarez is a second generation mayor. Uh, He's a man who says he learned everything he knows from his father. Let's talk about his father for a moment, who who was who does have the historic distinction of being the first uh, Cuban-American mayor in the history of the city of Miami. He was also uh, dubbed by the local press as Mayor Loco. This is back in the uh, uh, late 80s and into the uh, 90s. Uh, And he was known to. Uh, run around at night in his bathrobe, knocking on the doors of constituents who wrote uh, unflattering letters to the editor at the Miami Herald. He also sued the Miami Herald um, uh, because they called him crazy and unstable and a loon and a kook because that's exactly how he was he was acting. Um, and he failed, incidentally. He, he That was a lawsuit against Carl Hyacin, uh, the famous columnist, uh, among others. Um, uh, for defamation, it did not. It did not work. Um, also, Francis Suarez's father, Xavier Suarez, was actually removed from office after the 1997 mayoral election, which is known as one of, if not the most corrupt local elections in the history of the United States of America. And I will tell you, a lot of the stories and mythology that the Republicans exploit today about uh, uh, election fraud. A lot of that stems from the 97 Miami mayoral election. Some of it did happen, and it happened. The Republicans did it, uh, in fact. Dead people voted. There was there was absentee ballot fraud uh, in this Miami mayoral election. And in 19, 1998, Xavier um, Suarez ran against Joe Carollo. Joe Carollo sued over this fraud. And a judge, get this, a judge just determined that there was such rampant fraud in this election that the only remedy he could think of was not to have another election, because that would send a wrong message that if you were losing, just do some fraud and then you'll get a second bite at the apple. What the judge actually did was he removed the winner from the election, Xavier Suarez, and installed the loser of the election, Joe Carollo, as the unelected mayor of the city of Miami, which is kind of wild. But there was so, but, uh, there was so much corruption, the judge felt he had no other choice. And in fact, Francis Suarez at about age 19 had to testify under oath and I believe perjured himself because there was a stack of absentee ballots that were improperly uh, 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 signed off on and witnessed by someone who did not witness. And that person was F. Suarez. And Francis Suarez testified, who worked quite actively on his father's campaign. Oh, no, that that wasn't me. And there's no other F. Suarez on the campaign. There was, in fact, his uncle. But then he signed uh, some documents in court, and it looked like the signature kind of matched what was on those absentee ballots. Flash forward to 2013, Francis Suarez is serving as a city commissioner in Miami, and he decides to run for mayor for the first time. And what should happen? But two of his campaign uh, uh, aides, including his own cousin, (laughs) uh, get arrested and charged with absentee ballot fraud. So you have Steve Suarez and another uh, campaign worker from Francis Suarez's campaign getting busted for similar uh, 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 fuckery that his father was removed from office for back in uh, 1998. 
Uh, so it, 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 you're right, it, Jen, it all is just a little bit of history repeating, but only, only in a post-Trump world would someone as unqualified, incompetent, and corrupt as Francis Suarez have the, the shame, the shamelessness or the delusion to run for president. Magatov to uh, Francis Suarez. What are the odds that he's actually really, really thinking about running for president versus using this as some sort of stepping stool, name recognition, statewide raise, any other kind of thing, and trying to take advantage of DeSantis sort of falling off to the right? Yeah, follow the money. Absolutely. I mean, this is this is like everything else that Francis Suarez does. This is a this is a con. He we call him Ponzi Postalita because he is a con man. Um, nearly everything he says is a lie, um, and everything he does uh, is to exploit his public position for private profit of not only himself but of his his cronies, his benefactors, uh, his family. And so, uh, absolutely, this is not. A, a legitimate effort to run for president. Right. Uh, this is a scheme. Uh, first, it's it's ego and money, right? Let's let's start there. This is a man who is currently under FBI investigation for bribery, uh, and and this is only, I mean, and this is one incident of bribery uh, of which there are likely countless. We can get into that later. But this is a guy with such an ego that he, Francis is the type of guy he just hopes that they spell his name right on the indictment. Okay. So so first and foremost, he's definitely in it to raise his his name recognition and to get his face out there, no doubt. But also he's raised a lot of money from first and foremost uh real estate developers, lobbyists, lawyers, you know, special interests in the city of Miami who who for whom he has exploited his position. Uh, to to uh, to curry favor in the city for these private clients uh, of his, um, and then he started the, with the when the crypto cowboys came into Miami during this booming crazy boom and bust cycle with all the shit coin and the pump and dump schemes. Francis Suarez was in fact a crypto bro who promoted his own pump and dump scheme in Miami Coin, which over the course if you could if, yeah. you, could, if you could explain because even. As politically astute as Jen and I are, I still don't fully understand what Mayor Suarez did with this Miami coin. It looked like the biggest deliberate pump and dump scheme I have ever seen in my life. And the reality is there's still like not enough information I think a lot of us have in terms of what he did, how he has been able to get away with it, and will he continue to get away with it? Well, you know, over the course of this this bizarre explosion of cryptocurrency, um, there was something like t- over twenty thousand of these shit coins, as they're known, that came on the scene. These are not uh, uh, th- these are not products that had any sort of utility. They were not currencies in any meaningful way. They were simply unregistered uh, securities, um, purely speculative, or the, or to be used for illicit transactions. Those are basically the only thing you could. And honestly, most of those coins that you couldn't use for illicit transactions, people were doing that with Bitcoin and Ethereum, the more popular uh, cryptocurrencies. But this was just one of many. And what, what City Coins came up with was a scheme of, we're going to brand uh, uh, and mine coins that take the names of various cities, New York coin, Austin coin, Chicago coin, Miami coin. And so what we're going to do is we're going to basically uh, exploit 
those brands, the city brand, uh, and we're going to give a little vig, a little donation uh, to the city on top of that. And what that was an effort to do was to uh, try to enlist mayors, of which they really only got one. Eric Adams came close, but not quite. Um, but really, they only convinced one. And that's what's so unique here is that you had a, a mayor who was already a con man who put a for sale sign out in front of City Hall and said, give us your schemers, your Ponzi's, your con men, your, your, your scams, and we will embrace that here in Miami. And so it was a pump and dump scheme. It was simply a, a shit coin uh, for which the city got a little bit piece of the action. Now, what we probably don't have the full picture on yet, and I would love for the SEC, as they have twice. City of Miami is one of the only cities in the entire country to be investigated by the SEC twice. I think it's high time we had a third uh, investigation. They are, in fact, investigating the mayor and and one particular uh, real estate developer that the mayor was literally on the payroll of. It's so crazy. There's so much of this to, to get into, but, but to just put the button on Miami coin, um, I believe that uh, Francis Suarez was getting paid uh, directly. And when I say that, it's because Francis Suarez is allowed, uh, as are the city commissioners, to have outside employment. He is considered a ceremonial mayor, a part-time mayor, despite the fact that he receives a compensation package worth over $130,000 a year, plus perks, plus, 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 plus courtside seats to the heat, plus VIP to F1, et cetera, plus over a million dollars to take police officers off the street as his private Tauntaun Makut, his own security service, despite the fact that the police department says that there are no known threats against him. Despite all this, he's a part-time mayor and he's allowed outside employment. He works for a law firm, a law firm with a very active uh, Bitcoin uh, and blockchain, uh, you know, crypto practice. Um, he works for he works as a lobbyist for uh, real estate developers. He works um, at, at, at a fund that that uh, works with real that works in the real estate world. Everything in Florida, as you know, is usually a real estate uh, hustle. If you can't figure out what what's going on, look at the look look at the real estate angle if you can. Uh, but the point is, is that. Francis Suarez claims that his client list is privileged. It's secret. We have no idea who his clients are. I've never heard of an attorney. Mostly, you go to a, a law firm or an attorney's webpage, and they proudly list their clients. They use that as a marketing uh, tool. Here, he keeps them a secret because every time we learn about one, there's some insane possibly criminal conflict of interest. And so that's why when you're wondering, you're wondering what the hell happened here with this Miami coin, it's probably, you know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Miami coin, city coin stacks, one of the people behind this product was most likely a private client of Francis or his law firm, and he directly privately profited from this scheme. And, you know, you got to really wonder, uh, we see, we saw a lot of things that Governor DeSantis has been doing, <laughs> and obviously he took it to a twelve after uh, it became clear that he was going to run for president. We saw the uh, pay-to-play options that he's been running, you know, the gamut with. We saw what happened down in Key West uh, with the docking situation. But honestly, uh, the the type of just out in the open, brazen corruption that this mayor displays on the regular is absolutely incredible. Now, I'm not going to compare in any way, 
you know, what Ken Russell did, but it was pretty obvious to me that when he was sitting on the city council and decided, well, now I'm going to run for the U.S. Senate for the state of Florida, I'm looking at that thinking, okay, something's clearly going on here. He's clearly got some ace up his sleeve. He's going to try some move. And sure enough, he ends up running for Congress. And, you know, Alavira Salazar is going to have that seat as long as she wants it. Point being is that he was schemish, if you will, in terms of what he's doing. That is going to look like child's play compared to whatever the hell Suarez is up to, which, again, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts as to what this might ultimately lead to? We know he's not going to poll. If he polls 1%, that's going to be amazing. He's going to poll in the negative numbers like Chris Christie, as far as I'm concerned. But there's got to be a reason he's doing this. Is he trying to build some type of financial coffer to potentially, I don't know, challenge Rick Scott in the GOP primary? I don't know. But I'm curious what you think it might be. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it, Jen got it. He's first, he's, he's raising his profile. If by, by some outside chance there is a second Trump administration, I think he's hoping to maybe be, you know, you know, the, the kind of Mayor Pete, if you will, of that operation. The difference being is that Francis Suarez is not only no Rhodes Scholar, but he didn't even graduate at the top of his class from Florida International University. Um, so not a very impressive figure in any meaningful way, not to mention Republicans hate him. So you already have, you know, his uh, Donald Trump's caddy. Uh, Congressman, Car- uh, you know, uh, Carlos Jimenez in, in Trump's ear going, this guy's a total, a total fraud. He's taking credit for, for all the strides that the Republicans have legitimately made uh, uh, politically and electorally in the state and in this county. He's trying to take credit for them, which is, which is uh, uh, absolutely uh, insane. But also, I was saying before, he's raised all this money, Francis, and there's all these C4 schemes. Like, you have, in order to shake that money loose and be able to misappropriate that money, and hire your friends and family and contractors and special interests and get kickbacks back to you. You got to run a campaign. All of these campaigns. This is not, by the way, this is not a, a, a partisan statement. Most campaigns are money making schemes, are siphons for various consultant class, oh, you know, yeah. the consultant cowboys, as I call them, to come in and shake the money tree. So that's part of what this is, I think, is to shake the money loose. Lastly, I think Francis is not going to spend too much of that money, however, or misappropriate or steal too much of that money. because so I think he's going to come back to Miami, uh, where incidentally, if he's so popular here, why did he announce his presidential campaign 3,000 miles away in California? We can, get to, we can get to that in a bit. I'm putting a lot of stuff on the back burner to get to later. But, but to finally kind of wrap it up is he's obviously, to Peter's point, looking to run for something else. Um, the next available a major executive position would be the Miami-Dade County mayor, which is, I think, inaccurately, but known as the second most powerful position in the state of Florida. It is a $10 billion annual budget. It is a strong mayor, an executive mayor position. You're running a company with essentially something like 40,000 plus employees. It's an impressive gig. So it's possible he may do that. Um, It's also extremely likely uh, that he uh, will run for governor uh, at some point in the near future when um, when when uh, DeSantis turns out. Well, it'll be fun to watch Trump have his way with him. It'll be like watching a cat toy with a mouse. <laughs> I, I, hope, be, I mean, it, it I hope he, he makes it on his radar, but he'll come up with some good some good stuff for him. Yeah, I, I, He's a really terrible person. He tries to come to my golf club all the time. I have my fingers. Hello. I have my fingers crossed that he'll get that one percent. That he'll make it to the debate stage. By the way, part of the strategy here, you noticed uh, uh, several weeks ago, Kellyanne Conway already started 
uh, catering to and playing to Francis Suarez's ego, saying, <laughs> "Oh, he's very impressive. He's on a, I, I, he's he's on my short list for VP." Bullshit. But but what what is probably the truth is that if Francis Suarez can make the debate stage, they can sick Francis onto DeSantis. Remember the way that Chris Christie really destroyed Marco Rubio. Uh, in 2016, so so basically, you know, Francis Suarez will be the Trump uh, will be the Trump lapdog in that uh, debate if he if if he happens to make it. Yeah, that's that's the scary prospect. Is that I think what we're looking at now is um, the establishment in many ways is running out of ways to really go after a lot of these popular candidates because the people want to have a bigger voice and a bigger uh, you know say so in in the political arena. And a guy like him, I can definitely see is just a political pawn. And I often, you know, we often look around and we see a lot of these political figures. Trump has obviously taken it to a whole other level because he has made it so that, yeah, I don't care if you can see the corruption. It's just out in the open. It is what it is. But the fact of the matter is, this is a cottage industry. It is not Trump. It's the system. And so somebody like Suarez is like, well, if Trump's getting away with it. I sure as hell don't care if I'm going to do it too. Because to him, it's like, well... I scratch your back, you scratch my back. And, and that's why we've always felt it's sort of the same thing with Wasserman Schultz. It's that everyone who's in it that's part of the cesspool that is the corruption of the political system, their attitude is, uh, you're not going to tattle on me because I know something about you or somebody close to you that's going to get you in trouble. So everyone has this plausible deniability. Oh, yeah. Do you see that changing anytime soon? Because I do get the sense that the American public just with the different on um, both sides, the, just the conversations we have with all different people in politics, they are getting really tired of this shit. And, and I'm thinking we're hitting a breaking point. It's extremely frustrating. I mean, you can see, I mean, city of Miami, I would say the Miami today is the America of tomorrow. Uh, sorry um, <laughs> about that. But, uh, you know, you, it, it's happening here. Like we're reaching a real inflection point in the city of Miami, where we just had a city commissioner who a federal civil jury uh, found that he violated uh, the First Amendment rights of uh, private business owners here, and and out of political retaliation because they supported his election opponent back in 2017, uh, he weaponized the entire city: the city manager, the city attorney, the police department, the fire department, code enforcement, everyone to to concentrate on these business owners and these property owners to, to find their properties and to put them out of business, really depriving them of their private property rights, like a tin pot dictator, like what, ha like what Fidel Castro did uh, in, in, in Cuba. That judgment was $63.5 million, okay? And so the people of Miami are paid attention when you see a, a judgment like that and and are fed up because they know that this commissioner didn't act alone. The jury found that he weaponized the city and these people were, as I said before, not simply complicit. They are part of a mafia. I mean, you could draw a Corleone family chart with this commissioner and all and, and everyone in the city government uh, and, and the people who don't play ball get fired or, or get forced out to resign. And the people who do play ball get promoted. It's absolutely insane. Um, and so, uh, and, and it's transparent. The only thing transparent in Miami is the corruption. I think you're right. That has been exported on a national, uh, level now. Um, and the question is, how do we roll that back? And I think we roll that back two ways and easier said than done. 
Uh, number one, we encourage better people to vote. We go out and, and proactively recruit people that we know to be good people to get involved in this terrible process that decent people don't. You don't want to roll around, you know, uh, with, uh, uh, with, with these with these pigs because you know you're going to get some some mud on you. So we have to encourage better people to run. Then we have to support those people and fucking vote for them. So the moral of the story is vote better. But in order to vote better, we have to have candidates to vote for. And too often than not, you know, these, these competitions, as we know, or these elections are a battle of the, the best of the worst. And we have to hold our noses and go and bubble in, you know, the, 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 the the circle next to the least offensive person. So we all have to be proactive about that. That's the thing too. We can't be on the sidelines. And that's a real problem with the Democratic Party in the state of Florida who don't have uh, who who don't have a broken brand. They have a dead brand. The brand is dead. And and Florida's famous for our fair weather fans. When your team is losing, nobody's showing up to your games. And that's what ha what's happening. There's plenty of Democrats in the state of Florida. They're just not showing up to vote because they're disillusioned and they're unhappy with with the candidates that are running and the way and the, the messaging of the party uh, and, and how the party is being run. And of course, with the supermajority of Republicans, basically the, the Democrats being a non-entity in the state for the last 23 years you know, nearly a quarter of a century. Uh, it's just people are just, uh, 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 they're just depressed, I think. Yeah, there's definitely a certain amount of defeatism that we come into contact with. But the other thing is, and this is something we've learned because the state party and specifically Broward County's uh, Democratic Party, their primary focus over the past, it seems forever, is just registering voters. That's all they do is register voters. But here's the problem with that. Predominantly, they're not registering Democrats, right? So they're out there registering Republic first at no parties and then second Republicans and third Democrats. And in the meantime, they're not giving them any reason to actually vote for a Democrat. So in, in essence, what the Democratic Party in Florida is doing is birthing non-Democrat voters. By And that's their primary mission. And that is what they've been focused on. So you can see it's like we're bailing water and they're still like pouring it in to the into the boat. And that's a, and that's a great transition, because uh, one of the things that Jen and I have been working on and we actually have a we're, we're one of the drop point stations for the ballot initiative to get reproductive rights on the ballot. And the numbers are, you know, decent so far. But. There was something that I, I don't remember if it was Florida politics or something I came across the other day. And they were basically talking about how uh, one of the big accomplishments that uh, Nikki Freed has done uh, as of late is she got the Blue Gala in Miami sold out like ahead of time. And I'm thinking that's not something to brag about. What is to brag about is where are we on the numbers right now getting reproductive rights on the ballot? That's significant for a multitude of reasons. Now, right now, they say they have about a quarter million of a potential million ballots that need to be signed. Granted, it's the summer. Things will most certainly pick up, you know, a month or two from now. But obviously, it's going to take a hell of an effort. If they are able to get reproductive rights on the ballot in 24, that is at least going to give it's not going to win you the state like it's not going to be Rick Scott. But could it potentially pick off a number of state house races that absolutely should have flipped last time and will flip this time with better candidates running on an issue that is going to get people's asses to the polls? Yeah, I think that would matter. But it's like we get our priorities straight. 
I, I, well, I think there's, there's two things there. I think first, I, unfortunately, we're going to see a lot of people, uh, God willing, if she's listening, uh, that that item gets on the ballot. Um, it's, I don't think it's going to be enough, as you said, to, to really win the day for, for Democrats. Uh, but I think, cause I think you're going to see a lot of people who go in and vote for that state constitutional amendment, uh, to guarantee abortion rights in the state and then vote for Republicans who would deny them those very, or have, I should say, have the proofs in the pudding. Uh, a six week abortion ban is not a six week abortion ban. It is an abortion ban. Okay. At full mm-hmm. stop. Okay, in a state in which what was it March, the University of North Florida released a poll that found 77 percent of respondents opposed the state's six week abortion ban that they passed anyway. And Ron DeSantis signed into law. That should be a non-starter, by the way, for his presidential campaign. It should be Ron DeSantis banned abortion in Florida. Full stop. End of story. That's 77 percent of respondents, by the way, 77 percent of Floridians don't agree on a goddamn thing okay but 62 percent of those were uh, or i should say 62 percent of republicans uh were included in that who, who did not support a six week uh, abortion ban um so uh, i think the republicans when it comes to the abortion issue the republicans are the dog that caught the car now what they've exploited this wedge issue for so long to win elections with demagoguery and 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 uh, Christo fascism and all sorts of uh, uh, absolute fear mongering and lunacy. And now they don't know what to do without it. So that's always helpful for Democrats. The problem is, as Peter just pointed out, that when they're just fo- when Democrats are just focusing on registering Republicans and independents um, and they're not working on cultivating talent on transforming this dead brand, on flushing the toilet of the toxic uh, elements, the ca- really the cancers that have been on this party, that have killed this party in the state for decades, the consultant class, the political grifters. If you're not going to be proactive about cultivating uh, new consultants and new campaign managers and new treasures and young, new, fresh talent, in addition to a, a, a deeper bench of of candidates, which that's the problem too, is that these are not candidates that particular Democrats don't tend to put candidates on the ballot that inspire voters voter turnout to go out and vote for these people. So yes, you're going to see a lot of people turn out. I think uh, to support this effort if we can get it uh, on the ballot. Um, but I think, as you said, it's going to be a, a mixed result for for Dems uh, on that same ballot. But uh, you know, I had. I had Deborah Dorbert on on the Because Miami podcast some time ago, um, and it was just an incredible. I mean, it was traumatic listening to her story. I cannot fathom what it was like to live it, um, but I think that people understand. Seventy seven percent of Floridians and sixty two percent of Republicans in Florida understand that the conversation of, around abortion has been so skewed for so long. Uh, it, it in no small part because it's mostly by rich white men in power who are having that conversation, that it's all in the context of promiscuity and, and, uh, uh, you know, and, um, and birth control. It is not, it is healthcare. It is women's healthcare. And I think people now more than ever understand that when you hear the story of people like Deborah Dorbert, uh, suffering and being tortured, state mandated torture. This woman was forced to grow a ghost inside of her body to her physical and psychological uh, 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 trauma, 
Uh, and it's just one of the it's it's a story that exemplifies why. And this is a woman who who she and her husband paid no attention to what at the time was a 15 week abortion ban because they had no plans on getting an abortion. They wanted to grow their family. They had every intention of reproducing and giving their four year old son uh, a, a little brother or sister. Um, and so they're like, well, what, what, how does that affect us? It's like you don't know it until you until you're in a terrible position and of having to not only make a horrible decision, but your doctors cannot help you. Your doctors are saying, no, sorry, we can't do anything for you. We cannot give you the best health care, uh, despite the fact that this is our medical advice that you need preterm induction. We can't do it because the because the law is so vague. We may go to jail just for doing our jobs and giving you the best health care. And what that means for the state of Florida is not just women, you should not get pregnant here in the state of Florida or travel here if you are pregnant because you cannot receive first world uh, health care. But we are going to see all of us an overall decline in the quality of medical care offered here because real doctors, good doctors, are not going to want to practice in the state of Florida where they're not legally able to provide the most effective care to their patients, where they have to watch women suffer and bleed and die before they can intervene. We're going to get nothing but, but you know, quacks and kooks like Dr. Doctor air quotes, uh, Latipo. Uh, and th that's that's what we're going to be left with here in the state of Florida. And more than just women uh, will, will suffer, uh, setting aside the fact that 168 million Americans lost their not only lost constitutional rights that they've enjoyed for decades, but the most fundamental uh, inalienable rights, which which is those of, of bodily autonomy. Yeah, I find it infuriating. I actually find the fact that we're still discussing this infuriating. I find I have started now where I see this as violence towards women. And I have said it many times. I'm done debating this with people. I really am. I'm not going to sit there and negotiate. Is it six weeks or 15 weeks or is my baby viable or do I have rape or incest as a justification? I find it so infuriating. And I am at the point where this is something that I'm willing to die for. So if I'm willing to die for it, you better believe I'm willing to kill for it. And I am so sick and tired of arguing about this with people. I got to tell you, it's violence towards women. That's what it is. It's violence towards women. And there's also the huge elephant in the room, which is statistical data says that four out of five women believe in a woman's right to choose. And it's about a 50-50 split with men as to whether or not women have the right to choose. The fact that this is so dominated by men who think that women don't have the right to control their body. I tell every, you know, every dude that I ever meet that has an opinion about politics and especially about this issue, I just say, just if you only knew what it was like to have a period just once in your life, you would shut the fuck up forever. You would never say another word to women ever again. And the fact that it's so dominant in men saying women shouldn't be allowed to control their body. How, how, why do you think it's that way? How do you see it that way? This to me is a fundamental conservative value. This is small government is, is, is really how this should be couched. This is, this is the government. It, it, it should not be in a, in a doctor's office with you and your medical professionals. should not be in a room with you and your, your spouse or your family making Healthcare uh, decisions like this. The, these are these are the so these are the death panels that the Republicans accused 
would be would would be the result of Obamacare, which never happened. And remember, the one thing we've learned from the from the Trump era is when it comes to Republicans, uh, uh, every accusation is a confession. So every time they oh the Democrats are doing the Democrats are, that's exactly what the Republicans are doing or or attempting to do, and and that's exactly what this is. But let's let's be real. Not only is this uh, uh, a small government issue and a matter of of, of individual liberties, the most fundamental uh, liberties, um, but uh, abortion is also protected uh, uh, by your constitutional rights for religious freedom. Uh, there are Jews who believe who believe as a part of their religion yeah. uh, that that there is nothing more sacred than the life of the of the woman. Uh, and of uh, well, she may not be a mother. She may never be a mother. I, I'm remiss right. to call. I'm remiss to. It is a woman. It is a patient. Um, they they may be pregnant, but but they're not a mother yet. Uh, and 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 part of the consideration there is is they they will never be a mother in some cases because in the case of Deborah Dorbert, their 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 unborn child has has Potter syndrome. They don't have kidneys. They don't have f- developing lungs, and worse, there's no amniotic fluid as a result. And this and this baby uh, is is that will never barely grow to term is pressing against Deborah's rib cage, giving her a constant state of pain, uh, possibly deforming the child uh, as it develops. Um, and then the psychological torture of having to talk to your four-year-old child about this, about having to go out. You know what happens when a pregnant woman goes out in the world? Oh, congratulations. What a blessing. What do you do? So she either has to internalize that or explain over and over again what it is that she and her family are suffering, suffering through. And then finally, at 37 weeks, the doctors told her, they told her months earlier that this child will live for minutes or hours. And uh, baby Milo was his name. And he lived for 99 minutes as Deborah and her family sang to him, read him books, listened to him gasp desperately for his first breath without kidneys or formed lungs and heard him 99 minutes later uh, take his last breath. That is torture. Um Torture. Yeah. And not yeah. only tortured Deborah, but tortured baby Milo. Yeah. Um, and, and so this this idea that there's some sort of pro-life, this is not what this is. This is the control of women, the control of women's bodies. Um, and uh, it is grossly unconstitutional. Billy, I'll take it a step further. And you two are native Floridians. And of course, this to me is just Terry Schiavo all over again. This is just another example of what has always been the dark force within the GOP. And it has been for the better part of one or two generations. And that, of course, is the evangelical right. And the amount of say that they have in the party, um, the fact that Mike Pence was a heartbeat away from being the president of the United States should tell you all you need to know. And the fact remains that they do not believe in the separation of church and state. And they try to come up with these contrived ways of saying, well, that's not really what the Constitution says. No, it is what the Constitution says. It means that you cannot infringe on somebody else's beliefs. If somebody believes in bodily autonomy, full stop, you do not have the constitutional right to take that away from them. But unfortunately, in their mind, they... They really believe that they are like doing God's work. Well, guess what? Your God isn't my God, so I don't really give a shit. And this is 
it's like the fundamental foundation of American democracy in all of its true form. It's like, as long as what I'm doing is not affecting you personally, stay the hell out of my business. And for whatever reason, they seem to skirt that line all too often. And I've been saying, Jen and I have been saying that the real reason why DeSantis has gone forward with this, whether he truly believes it or not, and he is Catholic, at the end of the day, He's eyeing that Iowa caucus with all those evangelical voters and thinking, this is my one shot to nail Trump. If I can win the Iowa caucus, I can develop some form of momentum that might allow me to compete for the nomination. And if I get those evangelicals to vote for me, then, you know, then it's on. And that, that's, but, it's all political maneuvering, which is what makes it even more disgusting. But, but you know, we, and we, did, we covered this in our, our recent documentary, God Forbid, the sex scandal that brought down a dynasty. How does... Uh, DeSantis expect to go head to head with Trump, who is the man that gave them the th- the three Supremes uh, that that overturned Roe v. Wade. So I don't think that he can trump Trump in 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 terms of bona fides against women's rights uh, and and the right to choose. So I I, I think you're right that that's his calculation. He seems to all of but abandon any hope in New Hampshire uh, at this at this point. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess that could get him a, a, a solid distant second in uh, Iowa. At this rate, he might be a, a, a solid distant third uh, in New Hampshire. You know, at this rate, RFK is polling better than half in their party over like <laughs> half of their own people. So, you know, it's like I'm thinking that that might be the smart switch for him. Yeah. You know, the amazing thing about um, about RFK, and I did listen to his podcast with Joe Rogan, is that I I don't think this country I don't think this country is as divided as people want it to be. I just think that we have come to a point where the, the politics as usual is dead to an overwhelming majority of people. And there's a lot of flaws that people are willing to overlook with certain politics, well, not even politicians, because that's not what they're supposed to be. It's supposed to be public servants. And I've always maintained that the reason why so many people overlook Trump's flaws is because they are so completely disenchanted with the system that they are just willing to take whatever the hell comes with Trump, because to them, they see him as not being the system. It's the same thing with RFK. Whether you believe that what he's saying regarding vaccines, it's hogwash and all of that, a lot of the stuff that he's saying is resonating with a lot of people. And that is something that can't be ignored as much as people want to pretend like it's not happening. Marianne's a whole other story and we won't even get into that. But I do think that there is this sort of desire. And I also think it's it's sort of a, uh, a desperation uh, uh, moment at this at this current time, because I do not think that Joe Biden can win re-election. And so now the Democrats are going to really have to, you know, not the establishment, but the voters are going to have to think about, you know, what's going to be that next move. Because as far as I can see, if we're looking at this objectively, Newsom is standing like right in the background, like just waiting for the call to say it's your turn to get in kind of thing from the establishment. What do you ultimately see is going to unfold as far as the Democratic side is concerned with the primary? Oh, I think I think. Uh, 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 health permitting that Biden wins a second term if he's running, certainly if he's running against Donald Trump. Um, I, I think I think the same forces that galvanized uh, Democrats and independents uh, to the to the ballot box uh, in, in 2020 will 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 return uh, again. I, I see Joe Biden as the 
lemon sorbet course of American history. You know, we were we were eating shit for four years and everybody was like, yeah, enough of that. Let's let's cleanse the palate. You know, let's have some stability. Let's ha- let's let's make politics boring again. Let's make America bo- like we don't want to be live our lives like they do in 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 uh you know in 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 uh, authoritarian regimes of hanging on every single erratic word of dear leader and every fiat by tweet and we're all just sitting around waiting for something crazy to happen we wanted to not have to pay attention to to president to the president and to politics every single uh, every single day um but interestingly uh, i i think the the democrats again every uh 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 accusation is confession. The Republicans are always saying, oh, the Democrats, uh, it's the left wing, it's the extremists of the party that have taken over. Bullshit. Look, <laughs> look at who holds the gavel in the House of Representatives, the Republican-controlled United States House of Representatives when Kevin McCarthy can't make it. Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, who who's extremists and who's mm. are, are, are running, are running, have hijacked which party exactly? And people who represent such a tiny minority, like 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 you said, Peter, like we're we're there's major issues in which we're not that far apart on abortion being one of them. But the the, the tiny minority of people who are who are against these fundamental rights have control of the United States Supreme Court, have control of one house, you know, of one of one uh, of the two houses of Congress, have control a supermajority in the state of Florida. Uh, you know, um, and 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 went totally against and regularly go totally against the will of the people. You pointed out uh, the the uh, the referendum on cruise ships in in Key West with a stroke of a pen undid a democratic free and fair election. Andrew Warren, the you know the 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 Hillsborough <laughs> state attorney, oh, w- with absolutely no criminal charges or accusations of inappropriate behavior or or unethical misconduct. Made that go, you know, Scott Israel, who I didn't think much of, but he was a duly elected sheriff from Broward County who has not been accused or or charged, I should say, with any with any crimes. He's been accused. I was just going to bring him up. It's so funny you said that. I was sitting here and I was just thinking because we've talked about that before, that authoritarian um, bend. And it was very upsetting at the time. And of course, it was led by like this firing squad of angry wealthy white suburbanites who were just angry because, oh my God, gun violence hit our suburban, you know, nice area. And we need, we need somebody to pay for that. And they basically put it out there and Ron DeSantis is like, yeah, I'll ax him. And, and nobody stopped to think, um, this was an elected person that was just dismissed without any due process whatsoever. Beat him at the ballot box. If you hate him so much, beat him at the ballot box. And I'm I'm no fan of of Scott Israel. I would regularly tweet what I believe to be the misconduct, malfeasance, and corruption uh, of his tenure in Broward County. But he was elected, exactly. you know. And 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 I, you better you better believe if he was a Republican, he would not have been removed from from office uh, uh, w- without any kind of criminal charges or some sort of or or as you said, some sort of due process, some sort of hearing, some sort yeah. of I. It, 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 it's 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 undemocratic, uh, and and uh, and I I know we probably got pretty far afield from the uh, <laughs> from from the question, but I thought it was worth pointing out. And and we have you know this this character Joe Carollo, who in a in a federal uh, this commissioner down in Miami, this in a federal civil court, he was found to have violated the Constitution of the United States of America, which incidentally violates his oath of office. It violates 
uh, the 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 contract he signs when he registers to run or files to run uh, for office. Uh, and so uh, despite the fact that he has not been yet criminally charged, there is an investigation ongoing. This 68, uh, 63 and a half million dollar federal civil fine for violating the Constitution of the United States should be sufficient for the governor to remove him. But despite the fact that we have local our local races in Florida are nonpartisan, Joe Carollo is a registered Republican. And so he has not been removed from office when we have these other Democratic office holders who we pointed out have been removed for much less. Well, to be fair, though, uh, Governor DeSantis has decided he's finally going to start playing the bipartisanship card. And so for the apparently uh, handful of GOP state senators that didn't endorse him and endorsed Trump instead for president, uh, he's been cutting off their uh, uh, funding from Tallahassee. Yeah. Uh, he really is, he's, he's really got a Mussolini streak in that, that son of a bitch. And of course, uh, you know, Jen and I had pointed this out um, I, this was probably like right around election time. I didn't realize that this guy is like five foot seven. And at the time I'm thinking, all right, so yeah, he's definitely got a little bit that he's got the Napoleon complex going on where it's, you know, you're always skeptical of those leaders that wield their power. Like there's no, uh, there, there is no pushback. There's no regulation. Just get away with whatever the hell he wants. And now He's like everyone thought that he was just having an axe to grind with every Democrat that got in his way. Now he's doing it with the Republicans that get in his way. He's like, oh, hell, I'll, I'll get it. I'll knock anybody off that does not bow to the leader. Couldn't yeah. happen. Couldn't happen to a nicer group. <laughs> yeah. The bigger issue with him, it's like I'm looking at him and it's like, yeah, but you condone torture. You're somebody that actually with your little legal hat and legal reasoning on went over to Guantanamo Bay and instead of doing something sort of like just sat there and condoned it and now kind of just talk about it like it's, you know, some sort of like the good old days. I don't know. I, it's very it's very disturbing. Well, this is this is a monster that this Republican legislature has created because they abdicated the responsibility to be a check and balance on him. And they you know, and and, and you reap what you sow uh, at, at, at this point. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure they'd love for him to to get the nomination, if only to get him the hell out of the state of Florida. But, but, but they, though, they they built him. They can have him. But you know what, though, sometimes the Huber, the pride is greatest before the fall. And, you know, very often we saw him as. Up until the six-week abortion ban, I still maintained he was going to be the next president. I really believe that. But the second he passed that abortion, because it's an abortion ban, 100%. That is when you saw the entire Florida delegation, especially at the congressional level, that's almost immediately they went over and endorsed Trump. And I'm like, that's not a coincidence. They knew that this was a bridge too far, and he completely, you you know, blew his shot, if you will. And- now he does almost look like a spiraling tornado. There is yeah. no question that if you get in his war path and he's got a lot of money backing him up. So he's not just going to disappear, but it is going to be interesting to see how it ultimately concludes, especially since he was able to get away with another ridiculous unconstitutional rule where he can remain governor and run for president at the same time. But, you know, <laughs> DeSantis. <laughs> because because DeSantis, uh, listen, this is, you know, this woke bullshit, this performative politics is not a victimless crime. Uh, it's the same thing we've experienced here 
with Francis Suarez in the city of Miami. The, you know, performative politics is not a victimless crime. Uh, you know, in in the uh, best case scenario, there your constituents are entirely neglected while you pursue your personal vendettas and vanity projects. Worst case scenario, you have uh, people like Ron DeSantis and Francis Suarez who who uh, who essentially punish their own constituents uh, in in order to further their own personal and political uh, ends, which is horrifying when you realize we have not had a governor in the state of Florida for at least two years, all right? At least two years, the governor has been running for president, meaning yeah. everything he did was to that end, to that goal. None of it was to help anybody in the state of Florida. The guy goes to San Francisco and wants to talk about what, what the streets look like in San Francisco. What do things look like what in Sanibel? What do, well, what do things look like in Sanibel, in Fort Myers Beach still, okay, nine months after Hurricane Ian, when you have hundreds of thousands of people who have yet to hear from the insurance company or have been denied by the insurance company, who don't have roofs or on their houses or their businesses. Like, what are we talking? Like, go back to work, sweetie. Okay. What are you doing 3,000 miles away? All right. We, we, Florida needs help. Florida needs leadership. We have every 21st century problem here in Florida, and we have 20th or 19th century leadership. These guys are back in, in, in the case of, 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 of some of these laws, the dark ages. We've gone back to the dark ages when you hear the torture that, that women like Deborah Dorbert uh, have, have suffered at the hands of these Florida white, rich ma- male Florida lawmakers. But we, like we need 21st century leadership here. We have all of those problems here. We have an unaffordable state. Uh, an unaffordable housing market. We have unaffordable insurance. If you can get insurance, okay. When you have, when you, have, I don't. You want to talk about growth, and everybody say, "Oh, follow the follow the private sector." Francis Suarez said. I, I said, "Okay, I will." We've had the fifteenth insurance company in eighteen months. Stop, stop writing new policies in the state of Florida. I'm not going to follow a realtor. A realtor who runs around in a rented McLaren, they're not thinking about the future. I'll follow the private sector that hires actuaries, okay? And those people say that that, that Florida is not long for this world, and that means the end of the Florida housing market. We get, I'm just, that's just one example. We have serious problems here. We are the most told per mile, the most told state in the union, we got hidden taxes everywhere. Whether it's uh, how, whether it's uh, uh, insurance, whether it's some of the worst medical care, the lowest paid teachers, we've got every single problem. And this guy's off doing what? Si- signing performative legislation that immediately gets declared unconstitutional, which all of the lawmakers, most of them are attorneys, know it's going to happen, and their staff and their staff lawyers are telling them. And then we go out, we spend, we spend tens of millions of dollars, over $17 million and counting to date to basically defend these unconstitutional laws that the Republican legislature passes by hiring outside counsel and law firms that charge seven, eight, nine hundred dollars an hour. I mean, this is just absolute unmitigated Florida. Like it is a fire hose of Florida fuckery. And we are the victims. We are suffering. Jen, yeah. you're your calling. What, what's my calling? Oh, come on. Don't you want to be a seven to $900 an hour paid attorney? I mean, come on. No, <laughs> I most certainly do not. And I honestly, what I tell people, if you're south of Lake Okeechobee, you should be getting your scuba certification. I'd highly recommend it. But, uh, you know, our infrastructure is a disaster. 
They keep building more and more places. Every municipality seems to be just as bad as the one. Like there's a few that are good, but for the most part, there's just developers running amok and trying to get every last dollar before there will be the final buyer of a property that can no longer sell it. And that's what it feels like. <laughs> it feels like they're scrambling. It's like musical chairs. Like who's going to be the last one stuck holding the property when nobody will buy it and it can't be insured. Yeah. And I'm absolutely, and I'm, and I'm in commercial real estate, so I know it well. And yep. there are people like this one not do business with, and you and gotta, I, you have principles that you don't have. I interviewed meteorologist uh, John Morales in the podcast uh, because Miami last week, and and he just, uh, I mean, it was. It, I usually talk about um, politics, existential politics on my show, but this was like existential, full stop. Right, like it was the planet, the only one we've got so far, and. Um, Talking about the heat, talking about how the FIU and the University of Miami just did a a study that found that our apps and even our meteorologists are don't know how hot it is. There are some places in in Florida where it is six degrees Fahrenheit on average, hotter than what we're even what we're even seeing on our on our devices um, that are being read. Um, that the Atlantic Ocean has never been hotter. We had for the first time in history two named storms in yeah. the month of June. Um, I mean, just like crazy, crazy existential threats to like our existence. And it's and to hear Francis Suarez go to the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, 3000 miles away from Miami, where he, the only place he's known uh, to say that Miami is a city on a hill, you know, evoke quoting uh, Ronald Reagan. I'm like, Miami is a city underwater. Like, what do you like? Whatever the whatever the antithesis of a city on a hill is, that's what. That's You're a city and a crater. You're a city and a crater. Below sea level. What are you talking right. about? And he really went to the same exact place that DeSantis went to to launch his campaign. That is so pathetic. What It is what it is. Well, let's, pathetic is a pretty good word to describe Francis, Francis Suarez. Let's end the evening on a positive note. And this is going to be a surprise to Jen because I just came across this. Billy, you're going to have to share with us uh, what the experience was like, because you just posted it the other day and it looks pretty damn awesome, but you had the privilege of spending time with Anthony Bourdain. And I am kind of curious oh, yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. what that was all about. Um, well, we got a call uh, from the producers of, of the show, of uh, Parts Unknown. And, and, um, and it's kind of lovely, you know, they, they don't just like say, hey, you want to be on the show. It's kind of like, oh, Tony wants to have a beer and stone crabs with you. You know, it's like <laughs> you'll say you're getting an, inv an invitation uh, on a dinner date, you know. And um, so here's the thing. I don't I don't drink beer. I don't have a refined palate. So I never learned to drink like wine or beer. I drink uh, I'll, I'll drink booze. Uh, Same. But yes yeah, so but we were going to uh, captain jim's a wonderful seafood restaurant in north miami a joint it's a seafood joint it's almost a dive but it's an outstanding place it's been there for decades it's a it's a great got a great seafood market to there um and so uh and and so of course i drank beer that night you can see it on the you can see it on the uh on the table there and we just had an absolute wonderful conversation and um it was on camera of course and then they were done shooting and um, then we just sat there and we, you know, we didn't really do much eating on camera cause we were talking, you know, and, and we ate for a few shots, but then we just sat there for like the next 45 minutes or an hour with Tony just talking, 
no cameras. The crew went off and ate. Um, and, and someone, uh, production manager, someone with the show on the way out the door as they were loading up after dinner, um, said something that they probably tell all the, uh, all the guests, but they said, um, it's very rare that he does that. They said, usually he like, when we're, we're done shooting, you know, he kind of bows out and says good night. And, and, and they said, it's very rare that he hangs out and, and eats and drinks and, 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 and talks like that. Uh, again, I, I, I figured they just told that every, to everybody to, uh, to flatter us, but I, I, I did find it very, very flattering. I, I was very honored then. And I'm even, uh, even more honored now when you, when you realize, um, you know, I thought there was going to be a great many, many more decades of people who are going to have the opportunity to have that experience uh, with Tony. And unfortunately, um, and unfortunately, we lost him. Yeah, that's one of those things that's really cool to, for you to ever be able to say, yeah, I had I had a meal with Anthony Bourdain. Like, that's just really friggin cool. Yeah, like I have a friend who got to see see Queen live in concert, and I kind of feel the same way about that. Like, I don't, I only know one person. I have one friend that I met that has that has seen Queen live, and I think of this as sort of like that. Like, it's just one of those really cool things that not a lot of people have gotten to do. Not, not, not to belittle your friend's experience. Queen performed in in stadiums and yes, um, there was that only, is true there's only, that is there's true. only only so much room at a, at a at a at a dinner table but but i will tell you know they often say the famous adage goes you know don't meet your heroes uh because they'll because they'll break your heart but tony bourdain was like everything you would want him to be and expect him to be yeah. uh, and more and and he was the guy on tv there was not a persona obviously he was uh, he had some pain that that we didn't necessarily know all mm-hmm. about, but he was just he was just that that guy. And and you're always afraid, like you meet people who are on TV and they're going to be like, you know, awful. <laughs> awful people are very different from their TV personas. But what you saw on that show is what you get with him, and I think that's very comforting too, because then we get to watch the, you know, watch the reruns and watch the episodes and watch, yeah. you know, and watch the war and go like that, that was him. They really did. And, and it's a miracle with what you want to call it reality TV or these follow doc series. There's, you know, there's so often so much manipulation and editing and everything and right, you know, but that was him, you know, he did, he wrote his narration and he did there, sat there and did the interviews, you know, the, had the conversations and that was it. I mean, that was just, it captured him. So we now have that gift of all of those real conversations that came straight from his heart and straight from his, you know, straight, straight from his mouth. And, and, uh, and he shared that gift, uh, with continues to share that gift, uh, with all of us. Was there anything that he said that really, I mean, you don't have to rehash uh, all the conversation anyway, but was there anything that he said that really stuck with you that you'll always remember going forward? I'm not going to (laughs) tell. I actually, I actually made a decision that, that I wasn't, I don't know why. Um, I, I, I get that. I, I, you shouldn't say anything. Yeah, it, it it felt like when the camera stopped rolling, it felt like, you know, when you're, you know, I, I'm a journalist. When someone says off the record, you know, it's it's off it's the off record. the record. And yeah. and I and and I, I respect that. And and that was, you know, what it was. And it's not like there was anything so intimate or anything so secret, but like, you know, it was just it was it was it was me and Alfred Spellman, my producing partner and and Tony Bourdain talking, you know, that, that's, that's really all it was. And it was, and it was everybody, I mean, you can see the looks on our faces there. I mean, it was every bit like that off camera wow. as it was on camera. I mean, it was just, it was just a, a blast and it was funny 
and and insightful and warm and and I will say I will say this uh he is just the most wonderful listener that's the thing too he had questions for us that he wanted to know the answer to like he was genuinely intellectually curious yeah. you know wanted to know about our work wanted to know about Miami felt like you know there was a little bit of a Rosetta Stone here, which I think Miami is, you know, and not and not a lot of people can translate it and make sense of it. And so so we had we had that that conversation and it was and it was unforgettable. And I'm very I'm very grateful for it. You know, I say this to Jen and I know she likes to poke at me for it. But, you know, it's the, the one time that I had uh, you said you don't want to meet your heroes. But oh I did God, Bruce Springsteen. I had the privilege of speaking to Bruce on the phone. This was um, the summer of 2015. Oh, my father yeah. had just moved uh, to, uh, you know, a town that was adjacent to the one he lives in at the Jersey Shore. And so it just happened to be in the same place at the same time. He was there with his daughter, Jessica. And, you know, I just went up to him and started having a conversation. So he had texted me and, you know, he had called me and I didn't pick up. He texted me, says, you have to pick up the phone right now. So sure enough, I, I did. <laughs> and so he's like, somebody wants to say hi to you. And he says, hey, Bruce, and just like that. And I was like, oh, my God, that is you. And we ended up having a conversation for, you know, a handful of minutes, which was kind of amazing. And I walked away from it thinking, yeah, you are everything that everybody says. You're just somebody who never allowed the fame to completely go to your head. And that's a very rare thing. And Bourdain touched so many lives for so many years. And he still does. I mean, you can there's so much footage to watch of his work and, and what he's done and the way that he wants everyone to see that we are one united planet if we allow ourselves to be, because there is so much out there that we don't know about that would make all the difference in the world if we recognize that, like, like I said before, we have a lot more in common than we don't. Oh, did you have to do that, Ben? Did you have to I'm do just that saying. That's I do have to do that now. Yes, I do. Ben wants me to. Yes, not I do. <laughs> God. Just oh, saying. Come on. I'm just I, saying. I'll always say, listen, I'll, I, and, and I told him, look, I'll always have darkness on the edge of town and born in the USA and all those great <laughs> things. And he's still a great guy. I mean, obviously, he's, uh, you know, he's rolling with the big boys, but it is what it is. <laughs> I know. Is, is, there, is. Is there a more misunderstood song in the history of songwriting? Well, it got Reagan. Reagan was going to use it as his campaign uh, rally song, and Bruce was like, "He ain't using that shit. You don't even know what it means." But it, yeah, it's a it's it's a protest song. It's a, <laughs> against America's uh, involvement in the Vietnam War. I'm like, like I, I feel like people people understand the lyrics to uh, you know Informer by Snow better than they understand the lyrics mm -hmm. to Born in the USA. Well, there was a great article. Uh, well, what uh, one of the most the, the, perfect article of the whole like disconnected uh washington establishment uh when he was doing jen had the privilege of going to see him at the orange bowl during i the was gonna March. say i saw born in the usa at the orange bowl and it was really good oh. show so yeah i will say it was quite good the first show that he did when he came back from the european tour was at rfk stadium in dc and george will ended up writing an article called a Yankee Doodle Springsteen, and the whole article is just this complete misunderstanding of what the song was. He thought that Bruce was like, you know, Reaganomics to the max, baby. And I'm thinking, no, you really got this thing completely wrong. And so that's the great thing about 
great music when you think you know what you're listening to, but you really don't, especially on the first time you hear it. I, and, and I'll leave you on on this on this uh, George Will opinion column from May 20th of 22. From the Miami mayor's office to the White House, why not? I mean, can we can can we oh. just this this guy this <laughs> oh this guy God. this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about? Okay, can we just all can we all agree on that? Can we end on that note? And yet he is still and always will be invited to all the most wonderful parties in all of the political establishment. So there you go. <laughs> Billy, let people know what you're working on, uh, how they can get involved. Listen, I would love to see Jen uh, get on Patrick Bet David's podcast. If you haven't been trying to get on there, you would make an excellent, excellent uh, rebuttal guest to, to be on with him. I think that you guys could uh, definitely slug it out good. And I know you can take some punches. So I think that'd be a, a great conversation to have if you haven't planned those of you. Thank you. My, my agent, Peter here. Thank you. My booking, my booking guy uh, over here. <laughs> Thank you. You can find me Billy at Billy Corbin, B-I-L-L-Y-C-O-R-B-E-N, not the lead singer of Smashing Pumpkins. I am on Twitter for as long as that's still a thing and, uh, and Instagram. And uh, you could find uh, our work at cocainecowboys.com. You are a blast. It's Thanks so much for coming on, Billy. And thank you for doing what you do. Let's figure out how we can potentially, uh, you know, rub elbows going forward to get this re reproductive rights uh, petition uh, the ballot on the ballot next year. Wait, one question. Are you the same year as Sean Cutler? Are you the same year as Sean Cutler? Sean from Cutler? New, from New World? From New World School? I do, I'm, I'm the, I was the class of 1996. Oh, like, never mind. Joke. Never yeah, mind. So. Sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. I'm old. Do I, I'm, I'm sorry. Old. Do I, do I look older or younger than I? No, I thought, <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, at some point remember, I thought we had talked about having some sort of crossover just from new world. So I wasn't sure like if, if we had ever mentioned what year I didn't know, but I had a yeah. few friends that graduated from there. So just curious. Absolutely. And I knew a lot of folks in 95, in 97. I had some friends in 94. Um, and a little bit, you know, cause we were like all, you know, we weren't just divided by grade. It was such a small yeah. school, like 450 students that we also were like divided by our disciplines, you know, theater and, and, and music and art. And so like, we all kind of like mix with a lot of the, the older and the younger and, right. and the younger students as well. So, but I, I don't, I don't think I was in Sean Cutler's class. Then. No, no. Thanks for coming on Billy. Thank you for having me. Always Absolutely. a pleasure, my friend. Have a great evening. Thanks. Good night. Thank you. A great guest as always, and always a great conversation. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're not going to agree on Joe, and that's okay. So there's our one di real disagreement of the night. Jen and I do not believe Joe Biden is going to be reelected. Uh, I'm not even sure Joe Biden is going to be the nominee, and there are many reasons to believe that. Well, um, yeah. I, I don't know that he'll make it, but I don't see what – it doesn't really matter, to be honest with you. Really I agree. It's not looking too uh, it's not looking too hot. And like you said, you know, when you talk about the Democratic Party being dead in the state of Florida, it really is dead in many ways at the national level. And that's because they're just not willing to recognize that there needs to be an evolution uh, within the party. And even the information that I'd sent you earlier today, you know, it's amazing when you recognize that these these young kids and I'm not even going to pull up any information because we're not going to do a whole segment on this because this is going to be sort of like a short night tonight. But it was amazing to me. I sent you the, the tweet, Jen, um, 
about Katie Porter, who's yeah. running for the Senate in California. And you recognize, without naming any names, that these kids, because that's what they are, they are kids, they are being paid by whichever Democratic Party consultant, you know, organization to basically bash the candidate that isn't taking the corporate special interest money. Let's prop up Barbara Lee or obviously Adam Schiff, but definitely not Katie Porter. And I have my issues with Katie Porter. She's not perfect. We've heard the war stories, but you know what? She's not corrupt. She knows her stuff. And when you see these individuals say, what has she passed on Capitol Hill? What do you want her to pass? You want her to pass a bill that is chock full of corrupt bullshit? Or do you want her to be noted as the one person who is actually telling the truth, full stop, about what these mega corporations are doing? But no, the more important thing is how many shit bills has she actually passed on the Hill? Because Lord knows if she ever tried to get a bill passed, it was never going to pass anyway. It just speaks volumes as to you know, to what level of depravity one is going to go to to try to cut down somebody who is trying to work on behalf of the people, which is clearly what Katie Porter was trying to do. But as we know, the Democratic Party, when it, when you get right down to it, when it comes to not the social wedge issues, but when it comes to the actual economic infrastructural issues of our day, they're no different than the GOP. They, they find their way to supporting the same issue that they want to get through, no matter who has to play, you know, the role of the rotating villain it's all the same bullshit yeah i have nothing to add to this i'm very i'm like i feel like I, we, we we have to stop rehashing the same stupid shit yeah no i just hope enough of the people are going to get tired of seeing it and i do think that a lot of people are getting tired of seeing it. that's why the dog days of summer as they say there really isn't a lot um you know that you can really talk about um did you want to go over um the con well, we could or we could call it a night. Um, did you want to what go over you? the conversation between uh Sean Fitzgerald and Emma Viglin from Tim Pool's podcast uh regarding criminal justice reform? And yeah, I mean, I would just assume you know, like, I, I don't even ever want to talk about other content creators, so like, that's never anything I want to talk about. Sure, I didn't watch it, um, I don't care. So it's like, if you have something you want to like cover about that, but like, yeah, I don't care. No, I, I think, it, look, there's, there are points that Emma made that I thought were correct. There were points that Sean made that I thought were correct, but unfortunately there's this polarization and it's happening in these, you know, independent media spaces where everyone has an opinion. They think that they're right. And the other side's always wrong. Like there is well, no and the, the bigger problem, the bigger problem is the whole all or nothing. There's no context. Right. There's no nuance. You can't you can't agree with somebody on one thing and disagree on something else. Somebody's all wrong or they're all right. And this is, I think, why we really can't get anywhere as as a, as a movement, as what I would say tends to be the left. I hate to, you know, use left. Yeah. right. You know, we, we can't get anywhere. And, and it is this sort of like all or nothing mentality. Well, you're not going to see a response basically saying, well, I really disagree with Sean on this. But he did make a good point about this, that, no, it's all. Did you see how bad he did you see this? Or that? No, that's that's when you know that it's all about playing for clicks. It's not about actually caring about the cause. And as you know, on our channel, we care about the cause. So if you believe in the causes we do, 
please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can become a wonderful supporter of our channel. You know that we could certainly use more. The Lulu sticker is the intro gift that you get. If you become a $10 patron, we still have the last Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker. We're still holding out hope that the No Labels Party is going to coax them into running. This is I don't know. I'm with Dolly now. I'm with Dolly now. Dolly's a great candidate to support. And you will probably write Dolly in for president. So Let me explain to you, and I'm not kidding. Let me tell you, this. in all seriousness, I think more people would vote for Dolly than any of these morons. Uh, yeah, I would agree. And for the $25 a month patron, you get the generational change jersey. And you know it's silky smooth, baseball style. I love it. We'll always wear it. Uh, sign up. We appreciate any and all help that you can provide. But of course, if you don't want to get your information stuck on the grid, what you can always do is go over to Cash App. And dollar sign gen change will get the job done. Any and all contributions that are made are certainly appreciated. We can never say enough about our amazing supporter, Double K who chipped in a substantially generous amount. Very appreciated. It's very appreciated. It's very appreciated. Before. Uh, closing thoughts, Jen, before we depart. Well, what, what's coming up on Wednesday? I saw that we have like a, a primer guest, but what were you working on? Like, what are you wanting to talk about on Wednesday? Well, we don't have, uh, we have Mr. Barlow, who's going to be coming on. Uh, he has some important stuff that he wants to share with us. Uh, just briefly let the audience know uh, who Mr. Barlow is and, and what yeah, this is. This is somebody that I met through our Gen Z report. Um, he is somebody that uh, our primary moderator, CJ, uh, is now going over to this group, I guess, in Discord that they he has friends in. And he has invited other people onto the show, which has been great. And this is one of those people. But they are forming. This is like a real progressive type of organization. It's like it's not um, like voters of tomorrow. They're a lot more like what's the one, the new one with the climate thing. Like they have a really good thing going here. So I'm just curious to hear what this organization is, what they're what these kids are working on. Um, and it sounds like something really interesting. That's as much as I got for you. But um I don't know what else you want to talk about Wednesday night. We're going to have to have something on. We're going to have well, to come up with something. We'll come up with something. We always do. Um, I think tonight was a great conversation. You See know, if we can maybe get Nina to come on and talk about some of this violence against women shit. Because I've been liking some of the segments she's been doing covering a lot of this stuff about um, like increased maternal mortality specifically amongst black women. Like it's just, it's a mess. They all the, this, these laws are just no, making it's important to talk about it. And this is why when I hear people say I'm pro-life, it's like, yeah, you could be pro-life, but if you take away a woman's right to bodily autonomy, you're going to face all of these issues. And the issue that I constantly see when people respond on our thread, we have all different types of people. Again, we may have a suppressed channel, but we do get pretty good views on our clips and our shorts. Wait, weren't we having weren't we having Anna Escamani come on at some point and talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's not until um, I think that's not going to be until right around the time you get back. Um, oh, okay, okay. It's, be late, it's about a month from now. So okay. Um, yes, Climate Defiance. Yes. Climate Defiance is a great group. Um, we had uh, we had them on, um, and they did another great uh, demonstration today uh, at Vice President uh, Harris's event that she was doing. Nice. So there's um, look, there's a lot to be said for, uh, you know, getting some skin in the game, but recognizing that the second you lock arms with the Democratic establishment, they'll defang you. 
your organization will cease to. I just, I feel the need to like really be like I, that climate defiance group and make sure that they stay like on mission and non co-opted. Yeah. It's not going to be easy to do because there will be a lot of temptation thrown in their direction. But I do think that they are doing the right thing. Maybe they have been approached already. They are starting to become a real nuisance. So we'll see just how far they're going to take it. But I do believe that we've got. Um, we've we'll got come up with something really good on Wednesday. I know we, we, you always end up pulling something out of your butt, you know. Well, I was able to find that last segment about Anthony Bourdain, which I thought was really cool. I saw that, too, actually, when I went and was like just looking up some um, stuff on Billy. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I mean, you can imagine what that was like I mean, just to be able to sit in power. That's like you sit. Well, I wouldn't say it's the same as sitting with Dolly. I mean, if you got to sit I mean, with Dolly, that would be. Dolly awful. is just the last of the, of she's the last living of my like muses. You know what I mean? Like she's the last one that's living. So like, for me, it's like, we must protect this woman at all costs. Um, but yeah, cause all my other favorite people are all dead. So that's the thing about Looks Dolly. Like you're going to have to be the leader now, Jen. Looks no, like I don't mean. These are just the people that I like, you know, what I'm like, who, who would you invite to a dinner party? Who would you want to talk to? Who would you want to meet? all other than Dolly? All of mine are dead. So that's my point. Uh, so that's why that's why I have to, you know, protect Dolly. Smash the like button, subscribe, share, do all those wonderful things that we ask of each and every one of you. We are extremely grateful for all of your wonderful support. Hope you all have a wonderful evening. We'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.